text we'll be looking at is printed in your bulletin this morning. We have been looking at uh, stories uh, from the life of Jesus throughout the summer. And this story this morning is um, a very familiar one. And what I mean by that, if you've been around the church at all, you've heard this story. This story actually has even changed our language. What do I mean by that? Just the word talent and talents takes on a different meaning because of this story. Uh, for us, a talent really is a skill or ability because of the things that are written here. Last week we looked at sort of the timing of Jesus' return, when he would return. The summary is this, uh, if you weren't here, is that it can be expected at any moment that there's nothing that needs to be done or happen before his return. That idea really has been present in the New Testament and from Christianity from the very beginning. So naturally, among his people, the question is, if that's true, uh, then how should we respond? What should we be doing in the meantime? Well, this really brings us to this really famous story, this parable that Jesus teaches from Matthew 25. Um, hear what he has to say. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man. Harvesting we've not sown and gathering we've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then... You should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would receive it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw this worthless servant out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Father, we pray now that you'd be with us as we look into the story uh, from the life of your son, a story that he told to us, your people, about the nature of your kingdom, about what it means to live in between times, in between your first coming and when we will see you again. And so we ask that you would be with us. In the rich name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Most of you don't know this, but my sister was the captain of the majorettes at the University of Georgia. Um, she was uh, this stellar child is the only way to describe it. She excelled at everything, uh, which was really sickening. Um, 
1977, my parents traveled to the Sugar Bowl, which was held on New Year's Day, to be with her as she performed in New Orleans. Uh, in case you, you didn't sort of understand what the subtext of this, they would be gone for New Year's Eve. Um, now, the decision was made to leave my grandparents at the house uh, to watch over my brother and myself. I was 17 at the time, and my brother was 21. Why my parents thought it was necessary to leave my grandparents in charge, that is a loaded question, as you will find out in just a minute. My brother uh, planned this huge New Year celebration in their absence, uh, is the best way to describe it, which turned out to be a really, really bad idea. Um, to say that this uh, went off the rails wouldn't really capture what actually happened. My grandparents threatened to call the police. Uh, on us uh, during this celebration. People uh, that I barely knew showed up. I turned around and my brother had someone that I did know by the neck uh, carrying him out of our house. Um, uh, and we knew, right, that there would be repercussions uh, when my parents got back. Uh, my grandparents, at best description, were traumatized. Um, we cleaned the house, um, and we tried to be incredibly nice to my grandparents before my parents got back. Um, needless to say, their return was ugly. Um, this story uh, is about a return. It's about a homecoming. It's, and there's a way to look at this that looks ugly. Just on the surface of the story, it seems to be apparent what's going on. Uh, a master, uh, a landowner. He leaves and he entrusts his wealth to uh, three of his servants. He leaves them uh, five talents, two talents, and one talent. And for us, that really doesn't describe actually what's going on because a talent uh, had an incredible worth and value, especially in the ancient Near East. The gold here, some have defined as both talent, time, and treasure. And what's really described has a wide range of meaning. It, it can mean resources and ability. One writer said this, a talent really means this, to live up to your full potential. And what he's not describing or what Jesus is not giving us is any specific gift or ability. It just means what God entrusts to people in its wide range of descriptions, both in resources and ability. Now, how much is a talent magnitude of what this owner actually gives these servants uh, really depends on the location. But just to give you a description, a talent is worth about 20 days, 20 years of labor of the average worker in the ancient Near East. If you were a skilled worker, it would be 10 years uh, of labor. So the amounts given here are nothing less than huge. Even for the servant, that only got one bag, it's a staggering amount of money that he's left. 20 years. Just on the surface, we tend to think that, or we tend to look around and think, I don't have much. I don't have much time, talent, or treasures. In other words, what we do is we begin to compare ourselves with those around us, and yet this story enters in, Jesus enters in with this story, and it disrupts and it actually disturbs us. 
Because the way he describes it is God is not just generous, but he's ridiculously generous, enormously generous, abundantly generous. No one in the story is left with very little. No one can look at what they've been given and think, yeah, I don't have much. And yet we all know that if we spend much time around it, that's exactly how we approach ourselves in our lives. It's not just the what is given, these talents, but how it's given is also um, interesting, at least for us to look at. Just the distribution. Uh, we look at this landowner who entrusts this enormous wealth to his servant. That seems odd to us, except for servants in the ancient Near East normally achieve levels of trust that uh, would rarely be met today. They have incredible privilege, not only in his house, but even with his wealth, even in his absence. Enormous privilege, but the story also says enormous responsibilities. And just sort of capture the story well, no one is left out. Everybody is entrusted with something. And yet, even as we read the story, there's something that seems, or at least to us, seems deeply unfair, at least with the distribution. It is enormous, and everybody gets plenty, but there is this business of that one person gets five, one person gets two, and then one person gets one. Why didn't they get the same thing? Now, you can just imagine uh, if you're the guy that gets one, and this distribution is going on, at least in your presence. Or actually, even if you're the guy that only got two. You'd be thinking, now, just wait a minute. He gets five, and yet you only give me two. But at least that's better than the guy that got one. But what you find here is, in verse 15, each according to his own ability. That what you find in this distribution is that it's tailor-made. That it's deeply personal. It's not sameness or flatness is the best description I can give of it. Some of you have very young children, and yet when your children get to be older, I'm not sure if you'll run into this, but we ran into this a great deal, and that is uh, the old fairness routine is the best way to describe it. Uh, it's the doctrine that goes something like this, that you must do the same for every child. Well, if you bought them a car, then you at least owe me one, um, and it must at least be better than theirs, uh, or else you don't love me as much, which is a complete, utter fallacy is that somehow you must treat all your children equally. And just so you'll know, it's doomed to failure, actually, in the long run. In a world where everything must be the same or it's not fair, this story just runs counter to that, that our God gives enormous gifts, but He gives them according to what fits us. And that's incredibly good news. Why would I say that? Because you're not treated as a number or a robot. Everyone here has different circumstances, different personalities. I'll just tell you personally, I'm most concerned when somebody else gets a bigger piece of the pie. And I'm not at all concerned when I get the bigger piece. 
The good news is this. God is not trying to be even. He's just given us what He's given us to work with. What do I mean by that? You might be 25 years old and have an okay job. What are you going to do with that? You might be a 32-year-old woman with a good job, but you thought you'd already be married and have children by now. What are you going to do with that? Or instead, you might be happily married, but you learn that you're not able to have kids. What are you going to do with that? You see, this story says that there's no evenness and there's no fairness as we like to describe it in this life. God gives each according to their ability. It's very individualized, very personalized, according to who we are in our circumstances. That's sort of the general outline of the story. Uh, now let's look at why uh, Jesus gives this story. Just the expectation here uh, that the landowner finally returns in verse 19 and he settles accounts with them. It's an interesting way, uh, actually, that Jesus describes what's going on here. That they need to settle accounts, that they were to use whatever they were given for the master. And it wasn't just that the landowner, the owner here, has these expectations, but the servants did as well. And it shows from their actions, they expected that what they did mattered. In other words, that what they did was important, that it actually had purpose and meaning. That the return is not important. What is phenomenal about the story is both the guy with the five and the two that actually doubles the investment, they get the exact same commendation and the exact same recognition. It seems that Jesus goes out of his way to say the return is actually irrelevant to the story. They both get this enter into your master's joy. Just so you'll know, even though we might want to look at this story and make it commercial, uh, there's everything about this language that's not commercial. One translator put it this way, Come and share my happiness. I had one of my children that played the lottery, that plays the lottery, and uh, they told me this one time, if I win the lottery, and it was up to, I don't know, $300 million or something absolutely ridiculous, and this is what they said, if I win the lottery, I'll pay your house off. And immediately, my internal response was simply this. You're going to win $300 million, and all you're going to do is pay off my house. <laughs> now, if anybody else, had come, a stranger had come up to me and said, I don't know you. I want to pay your house off. I would have just been doing cartwheels. I would have thought, how wonderful, how marvelous. But how quickly we fall into the idea that this is not fair. That I'm somehow being shortchanged. And just look at the responses that we know very well and that we see in the story. So what did these two, the guy with the five and the two, what did actually did they do with the money? or with this bag of gold, or this enormous wealth that they've been entrusted. The text actually never says. It only says that they put the money to work. The best description is that they went and traded his wealth for something else of a greater value, something that would appreciate. Now, they could have looked at this and said, look, I brought 
five bags on your five bags of investment. That guy only bought two bags, and we get the exact same commendation. Instead, you see, they embrace exactly what the Father is giving them, the Master is giving them. But we come to the third guy, which really is the point of the whole parable. He stands in stark contrast to the others. I'll just tell you, culturally, uh, the third guy, we look at this and we think, how ridiculous, how absurd. He did exactly what the culture would be telling him to do. The rabbis actually said this, money can only be guarded by placing it in the earth. This idea of putting your money to work, investing, was really almost unheard of in the ancient Near East. So the first two guys, even culturally in the story, socially, they would have been seen as sort of an abnormality. The third guy did the prudent thing. He guarded the money. And yet the description is, according to the story, that he's wicked because of what he's done. Again, a better translation would be this. Actually, he's worthless uh, would be actually how Jesus describes him. Now, why is that? What you see, his approach, is simply he's playing it safe. No risk. His greatest concern is not doing anything wrong. He's not really concerned about doing anything right. He's not concerned about investing the money. He's more concerned about not doing anything wrong, keeping His slate clean would be the best description. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but there's this subtle shift in the story uh, that really is interesting. Uh, Because basically what he says, he shifts the blame, not from him, but it's back to the owner. What he says actually is this, the reason I didn't invest the money, it's your fault. Because of who you are. You're a hard man. You do hard things. You reap where you don't sow. In other words, he had terrible thoughts about the Master. And it really is what irresponsible people do. They shift the blame. They look for other ways around it. And what is really our response to the gifts, the talents, the time, the resources that God has given us? Some respond like this. I've been hurt. Uh, I haven't been recognized. I've tried that, and nobody recognized me. Or others of us respond like this, I don't like something, or I don't like someone, so I won't serve. That'll show them. (laughs) Um, Or others say, look, it's your fault, because you're not doing something the way I want it done. Ben Franklin said this, he that is good at making excuses is seldom good at anything else. Listen, this story tells us that all talents, all gold that you've been given, and it doesn't matter how you describe that, whether those are financial resources, whether that's liquid or non-liquid, abilities that you have, gifts that you have, those all belong to the Master. They're His and they're on loan. Another way to phrase that is this, they don't belong to you. I know it's hard for us to hear and even harder to swallow. How do we move to someone that would take incredible risk? To someone that it would invest everything in all the myriad of ways that God has given to us. Time, talents, treasures, our personalities, the giftedness that God has given us. 
The only way is if you see that this God, this Master, is the one that would use all of His talents, all of His gifts for you. He holds nothing back that you might flourish is the best description. Look at Jesus. What does He hold back from you? What does He fail to invest on your behalf? He holds nothing back. Even His own very own life He doesn't hold back in order that you might flourish. If you don't see this, if you don't get this, if you don't get the one who's telling the story, here's the thing, you might do this out of guilt. Well, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I really don't want to, but I'll do it anyway. Um, Or fear, because the rest of the story, and what you fear here is that somehow or another you're going to miss the boat. You might do that, but there won't be any risk involved. Because see, to serve Jesus, if He's given you everything, means that there absolutely is no risk. Everything He's given is already yours in its fullness. You can't take away from it. You can't distract from it. It's already given to you. So what are the opportunities here at Grace? They're enormous, I'll tell you. Uh, we need people to volunteer for ESL. Kyle needs people in the children's ministry. Uh, without a doubt. Kate needs people in the nursery. Uh, those are places that we should never even have to ask about, and yet there they are. We need people. We need people to host community groups, to lead community groups. We never have enough of those here, ever. And yet those are the opportunities before you. Some are waiting here for an invitation. There's your invitation this morning. Uh, there it is. You've been invited to join in and watch the Master's joy is the best description. Scott Ribby at 18, he was involved in a terrible truck accident. He had to have both of his legs amputated. He describes it as something he absolutely didn't sign up for. Shortly after his life, as the best description, just spiraled down. One day he said he turned around and said, wait a minute, I can't spend the rest of my life making excuses and placing blame. I can't spend the rest of my life looking at everybody else, what they have and what they can do. Instead, he started taking care of himself physically. In 2007, he was the very first double amputee using prosthetics to cross the finish line at the Ironman Championship, World Championship. But that's not all he did. He leveraged his story for the sake of others. He spends his time now working with war veterans who've lost limbs and are trying to deal with the transition of what that might mean and what normal life, the new normal, might look like for them. All of us here this morning, you come with a story. Circumstances, situations in your life, God has framed that for a reason. Are you leveraging that based on His grace and mercy for His story? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your great love and mercy that You call on us as Your people to expend ourselves, to use our gifts, for your service, that we might invest them. Father, we fail at times to see and to know that all that we have and all that we are, it belongs to you. It is not ours. How often we grasp and hold on instead of holding with empty, open hands in service to the world. Father, we pray that this morning you would, in some small way, open our hands and our lives in order that we might serve you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.